0: Welcome to the Rude Dog Show. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning in on Live on Spreaker. Again, this is Rudy Reyes on the Root Dog Show. Go to therooddogshow.com. Make sure you check out all types of great stuff, dialogue, interviews, even a little bit of writing here and there. Yes, I've been known to do that and also accused of that simultaneously. So the foot fits the shoe and vice versa. Welcome to another edition of the Rude Dog Show. This is going to be an interesting topic because it's something that continues to be the case in professional sports. And I'm not going to pick on just the NFL. I'm not picking on Major League Baseball. I'm not going to pick on the NBA. But I'm going to pick on all of it. Why? Because it needs to be talked about, needs to be discussed. And here to join me to obviously, and, and he knows better than probably anybody I've ever spoken to, Dr. Mitch Abrams. He's a sports and forensic psychologist. He's an expert in domestic and sexual violence in athletes. He's a public speaker. He's an author. This guy does it all. If there is any baggage you might have, he'd be the person unloaded on. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Doctor. How are you? Thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate it.
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me. The warm introduction. I uh, Hopefully I won't disappoint you.
0: No, I don't think so. You know, speaking of disappointments, we can look at sports landscape, and of course it's something that we relatively discussed on Twitter and kind of went back and forth about it in regards to players and how the newest uh, level of ambiguity is by being a guy by the name of Jermaine Whitehead waived this morning by the Cleveland Browns. They did lose Yesterday, uh, it was a basically a meaningful game against the Denver Broncos in Denver, here in Denver, where I'm located. And he was basically released because of his social media antics. They were racist by nature. Uh, There was a lot of inappropriate language in in accordance with what he had said. And and, and clearly, this is an ongoing situation where players like Jermaine Whitehead continue to use social media platforms as a, a way to, I don't know, maybe alleviate themselves, maybe to get off some steam, perhaps. You, you could probably take it out of context, but if you go to his thread, or you can go to at SN underscore Ohio, you can see all of the the, the detrimental conversations, the, the type of thing that we continue to see on the social media landscape. But of course, that always trickles over to real-time situations. So Dr. I look at these things, and, of course, we could use tons of examples. I mean, guys that have been in in leagues, and, of course, crimes committed by guys like Mel Hall, played for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, you know, we could talk about everything from Julio Machado. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. I guess the, the first question I have for you in regards to allowing these players to press send on messages that they should have not sent – how is, that, how is that addressed? You've been dealing with sports athletes for a long time. What would be the first piece of advice you could possibly give them to help them change their minds from clicking that send button for something they should not be sending?
1: Well, it's, it's funny that you say it exactly the way you do because when I do social media training with athletes, I have something called the 5-Minute Yo Mama Rule. And the 5-Minute Yo Mama Rule says that no matter what comes in, you're not allowed to respond for 5 minutes. And the reason for that is because people take. I mean, look, in, in social media, people have the benefit of anonymity, right? So people will say all kinds of things. I promise you, if we have people um, uh, throwing things in your direction or sticking a microphone in our, in, in your face right after a performance, it's it's very difficult. So when we talk about the five-minute your mama rule, what it does is it demands that the athlete spends five minutes thinking about what they're thinking about before they send it. Because one of the biggest problems is is that we have no period of time in between stimulus and reaction. So if we could put a little bit of time in there, then we have an opportunity for us to cool our jets and let cooler heads prevail. But the second part of that rule is the Yo Mama rule, which is if Yo Mama saw what you were about to tweet, would would you be getting a whooping from Mom? And if the answer is no, then... Press pause, let it go. I mean, th- this is a big challenge, you know, Everything with social media and the 24-hour news cycle is it—it it, kind of demands immediate response, and so people are just responding emotionally. And I say "just" meaning um, th- that without you know a whole lot of thought involved. Um, but the the implications are huge. I mean, it, there's probably no easier way to sabotage your brand than to get on social media and become the, the jackass du jour, and for Whitehead, he's now out of a job, um, and it, you know, for all of his people, whether it's the team or or his his entourage or his agent, they all got to be thinking, man, if you would have just shut up, I'm not mad at you for being angry at some of the things people say about you. That's part of what being in the public eye is. It's, it, it can be a lot of pressure, but the the self
0: destruction
1: is just it's a, it's it's impressive
0: well that that has covered so many different and if if only a handful of people in the sports world namely guys like antonio brown and you know the the, the list is exponential and there's really no reason to go off naming names but there there are a lot of them and if you guys are listening you know who i'm talking about those narcissistic behaviorally um altered mindsets that enable these guys to feel the need and empower themselves with social media. And it's a wreck of a brand. I'm going to use Antonio Brown as a prime example of this. And you've heard it. It was plastered. He has gone on tirades on social media. He basically Mm -hmm. talked himself out of a job, out of many, three jobs, three jobs, both a wide receiver for the Steelers, New England Patriots and the Oakland Raiders in no specific order he basically talked himself out of a job. What would be the message you would send to him if he contacted you and said, Doctor, what's going wrong? What's going wrong? What's the issue? What's the situation? The first
1: question is, do you really want the answer? (laughs) I mean, keep in mind, a true narcissist would never ask for help because narcissists think they're above it all, and what usually happens is that they're not full-blown narcissists. They have narcissistic features. And what I think we need to pay attention to so as to prevent the Antonio Brown blow-ups of of the future is to recognize, and this is an explanation, not an excuse, but to recognize that when we see a full-blown raging narcissistic beast, this is years and years in the making. From the time an athlete is identified as physically gifted and different, we give them a different set of rules. We do the same thing with coaches. That's part of the problem because the coaches think they have a different set of rules, so therefore the players have a different set of rules. So then we're okay with them not handing in homework, and we inflate grades, and they're away on trips and all the rest of that stuff. And so we give them a different set of rules. We put them on a pedestal, and then they start to believe it. And then one thing leads to another. I I wrote in my book, I said, narcissism is a natural consequence of chronic winning. It boils down to competition. Rudy, if I'm better than you, and I'm better than him, and him, and him, and him, I eventually realize I'm better than all these people. Now, just because I'm better than you physically, I run faster or I'm stronger, doesn't mean I'm a better person. Doesn't mean I should have different privileges. And that's part of the problem. Parents and coaches, from the time we're dealing with youth sports all the way up, have to teach athletes about discipline and accountability and if you don't have that and you keep making excuses for these guys as they're getting older and i say guys because usually we're talking about male athletes being so narcissistic you you don't see it as much with female athletes they're 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 dealing with a different set of problems of of expectations in society but these guys have been told that they're the best thing since sliced bread from the time that they're young you have Um, Some women maybe be throwing themselves at them. Um, Everybody wants to be around them. They're so charismatic, so they start to drink the Kool-Aid. Who can blame them? Well, the problem is is that while you're so busy drinking the Kool-Aid, you don't realize that you're actually in a car on fire heading for a cliff. And so if we're going to address the problem, we need to understand that When we talk to college and pro athletes, we're already swimming upstream because we already have at least a decade, often two decades, of people blowing smoke up their butts about how they can do no wrong. And if we don't correct that, you're going to have more and more of these cats as they come forward.
0: And again, it's one of those things that continue to be the case. People are enamored with these sports athletes. And of course, and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it, I do have a favorite athlete, may not be in this decade, but I do have one. But that person, I've done my due diligence in regards to background research. Who are they? Where do they come from? Do they have any NFL problems? Do they have off-the-field problems? Do they have spouse abuse? Are they domestic violence You know, uh, people who continue to to kind of keep their their wives at bay and and promote dysfunction within their own unit their own family unit within their own marriage unit and those are are my favorite players the ones that don't have those issues unfortunately that's not always the case you get a lot of players who are in the situation where and put themselves in the situation nobody puts them there but themselves and i think accountability is one one extreme component that needs to be recognized it needs to be talked about people need to understand this and i'm going to use milton bradley as a good example of that seattle mariner player classic classic player he alienated all kinds of people because of the rage that he exhibited always in trouble he was a 12 year career guy found his way out of it why because his he, he did so many negative things to his teammates bradley's wife and at the end of the day he could not get out of his own way and i speak about this a lot about getting out of your own way being the guy that gets in your own way to to not see what's what's in front of you because you're so busy with those things around you that keep you warm and fuzzies what would be the resolution of someone like milton bradley or an antonio brown or Jermaine whitehead to prevent it from getting in their own way
1: You said you said a lot there, right? So first off, you know, it, it sounded like the way you were saying it. Well, if I if I have someone that I really look up to, I want them to check off all the boxes. And I would argue that there are a whole lot more pro athletes out there that check the boxes than anybody cares about. And that's the thing that gets missed here. When a pro athlete transgresses. It is big news, and I'm not saying we should make light of it, but I, I think it's important for us to not use a broad brush and act as if um, uh, most athletes are this way. They aren't, but it's not clickworthy. It's nothing to talk about, so you keep it moving. The other thing to consider also is that the narcissism and even the anger that a lot of these athletes have are completely adaptive for the task at hand. The narcissistic athlete who believes they're better than everyone else, they will not hesitate to put their foot on your throat because that's what the nature of competition is, okay? If they have doubt and they have fear, they're going to be a little bit slower and they're going to lose their edge. So it's important to remember that confidence, especially at the extreme, can have uh, adaptive uh, advantages for sport participation there is however no guaranteed overlap between being an excellent athlete to being an excellent human those uh, those are not mutually inclusive but they're also not mutually exclusive so and and let's take that one step further also They'll get referrals either from agents or courts or whatever, and they'll say, you know, I want you to do anger management with this athlete. And then you talk to them, and they really don't have an anger problem. The only place that they get in trouble sometimes is when they transgress on the field. Very often people are talking about uh, Vontaze Perfect. Perfect has been exactly the same since he was at Arizona State. People have been reinforcing him for being uh, a, a boy, a man amongst boys, taking people's heads off, and he's been reinforced for this for a long time. When Odell Beckham was 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 clowning out with Josh Norman a couple of years ago, he, his butt should have been put on the sideline. Calm down, because the passion that you play with is what makes you so great, but there's a line, it's sometimes a very fine and sometimes an even fine blurry line, that when you go over it, you have problems, and that's what people don't get. From an anger point of view, it helps us in sports and in life. makes you stronger, makes you faster, gives you more stamina, decreases your perception of pain, all those things help you perform. But once it gets a little too high, then you find motor coordination goes out the window. Your decision-making, vision, the ability to synthesize data and make good decisions goes out the window. So we have athletes that are using this as a, um, a, a gas tank of fuel. It works great for them. Everyone is rah them upside down and sideways. But when they go over the edge, they jump off sides. They take bad penalties. Then you're a little bit surprised. Honestly... I'm surprised we don't have more domestic violence amongst um, uh, these uh, NFL players because, especially for the guys in the trenches, physicality is their milieu. This is their media. So the fact that you don't see more of this is somewhat surprising because the truth is a lot of athletes have really good anger management skills. They know how to turn it on. They know how to turn it off the difference is we also have guys that have these personality issues, and they think that they're above it all. And and let's not forget what family of origin was like. Maybe they grew up in an environment where domestic violence was part of what they saw growing up. Then again, that's an explanation, not an excuse. Sometimes they grew up in, in gang-infested neighborhoods where, where crime and violence is a way to do things. you One of the biggest problems when you talk to people that engage in potentially criminal behavior is that, A, they don't appreciate the wrongness of it, or they like doing it. So that gives us um, a whole lot of work to put on the table with the athletes to say, what is it that you want? What is it that you're trying to get? How do you see yourself? Do you care about how you're perceived? Because the truth is most of these narcissists who say they don't give a crap about what everyone thinks about them, they absolutely care. In fact, the more how much people care about
0: their clicks. So I have a huge problem with the advocacy in regards to how to create a resolution. Go behind the scenes, go behind the backstage, look at these things from different angles and say, look, how did we get to this point? You know, Vontez Burford is a good example of that. Uh, Felipe Vasquez um, uh, accused and found guilty of, of, of having sex with an underage minor. Uh, things like that. How do we go behind the scenes into these sports organizations to change their mindset so that way we can have more constructive players who aren't just putting on a front face and then turning another face around when no one's looking to be this monster in the closet?
1: Well, I think the biggest problem is... Uh, When you talk about advocacy, advocacy really has to be considered a much more multi-dimensional approach. Very often, advocacy groups represent mostly survivors uh, of abuse themselves and attorneys. And don't get me wrong, they can be very powerful in in telling their stories and raising awareness. But if you want to make a change, you have to be able to recognize what the problems are. For example, um, domestic violence. People say, oh, well, you know, this person uh, hit his wife, so therefore he should be punished. And I don't have a problem with that. That's true. But what happens if you punish him and you don't provide him with treatment? Then he's going to do it again, right? Uh, on the college level, you have someone who's accused of sexual assault. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're either going to hide it or they're going to cut him. And if they cut him, he's going to go across town with, after you spent all your scholarship money on him. And he's going to beat you into a pulp on the football field. And... He's probably going to have more victims later. So if we want to make changes, it can't just be about changing policies. It has to be about assessing the athlete individually to understand. I apologize ahead of time for you know, all the psychobabble that goes into this, but they're unique criminogenic factors. What goes into them being the way they are? Do they have psychopathic tendencies? Do they have anger management issues? Do they have substance abuse issues? Do they have untreated mental health issues? Um, Do they have um, uh, issues related to toxic masculinity and and misogyny and the idea that women are there for the taking? We need to be able to assess them on a case-by-case basis. You cannot use a broad stroke. You cannot assume that every person that commits domestic violence is exactly the same. It's simply not true. You can't uh, presume that everyone commits sexual violence is exactly the same. It's simply not true. You have to uh, identify them, assess them, and provide them treatment. And you want to know something? Mm -hmm. It's not what's being done. It's not what's being done. Even prevention doesn't really take into account all of the different factors and angles that go into why people are doing what they're doing. One of the things that you'll often hear is people will come in and say, we're going to use the bystander intervention model, which says that if you and me, Rudy, we're at a bar somewhere and, and I want to do something that's sexually aggressive and I start doing something, you're going to stand up and say, hey, doc, that's wrong. Don't do that. Well, a couple of things we know. Team structures will not allow for that, because if the person that's violent is higher on the status uh, totem pole, there's no way a lesser person is going to speak up to them. Now, if you can get one person to speak up, more will. But the thing is, when I and I work in prisons, I, I talk to sex offenders all the time. If I have someone that's going to get in the way of what I'm trying to do, I'm just going to wait till they're not there. So very often, the easiest way to think about what's going on right now is people are trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. This is a gaping wound. Domestic violence. Sexual violence are huge problems in the United States. There's no reason to believe that you're not going to have athletes represented as perpetrators because it's in every other group. I think that sometimes people think that because they're rich and they're famous, they're not going to engage in those behaviors. Why would I have to take sex from somebody when there's so many people that want to be with me? Well... That's, that's where the narcissism comes in. So if we want to make changes, we need to have sports psychologists that have experience working with um, the athlete culture, um, uh, experience working with trauma, with violence, with perpetrators of violence, with victims of violence. You need to have those people at the table, not just the advocates and the attorneys.
0: Let's, let's rewind this for a minute, and here's why. There are so many unanswered questions when somebody in high school, and I'm talking about an athlete, we're talking football, uh, Mm -hmm. basketball, any other. Can it be caught then? I mean, can't you just sit somebody down and say, look, this is not going to be tolerated. These amount of fights that you've done in school, I don't care how gifted you are, are going to cause you negative repercussions at this level. Can't there be a way to nip that in advance?
1: No, no, it, it can be. However, it's very difficult when everything else in the, in the environment is saying, do what you want. It's like when I'm, doing, when I'm working with an athlete that, following either a domestic violence incident or a sexual assault incident, right, I don't – very often they're, they're tired of having everybody wag their fingers at them and tell them that they're a piece of crap right? It doesn't work from a treatment approach. So if you want to help people change, you have to help them understand why it's in their best interest. It would be nice if they cared about the potential victims, but sometimes they don't, especially young men that are not very forward thinking and all they think is the world is their oyster and they can get whatever they want. So when, when someone says something to a high school athlete, oh, you know, you're going to ruin your future. What are you doing? But the coach is saying, I don't care. Just make this problem get away. So go away. So he's back on the field Friday night then you have a problem. Can we make changes? Absolutely. And the earlier the better. That's why coaches are so powerful and so, so much in a great position to set accountability and what the standards are. But the truth is is that it doesn't always happen. Uh, let's also keep in mind, we have no idea how many kids are completely saved by coaches. That's the thing. When, when things go left, we want to lambast the coaches, and sometimes that's, that's appropriate. But there are also a lot of kids that come from Lost situations, and coaches put them on the right track. So, yeah, there's a lot we can do, and the earlier we get them, the better. And, and also, the other thing is, is that their personalities aren't set the younger they are. So you're in a better position to offer them alternatives. Like when I'm talking to um, a perpetrator of domestic violence, I'll say to them, listen, I don't have a problem with you saying out loud, you know something, Doc? Sometimes I want to hit my wife. Uh, Because if you say it out loud, now we have something to work with. I'm not going to kill you for the emotion. I'm going to kill you, metaphorically, of course, for the behavior. So if we could talk about the emotion and say, listen, I don't know anybody that's in a relationship that doesn't get frustrated. I'm sure that your wife feels the same way about you. But if we could talk about the frustration, then we could do something about it rather than acting out. Same thing with sexual violence. I don't have a problem with any male athlete saying, hey, I want to get laid. Congratulations. Truth is, women like having sex too. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that if you think being a man is taking it, you don't understand what it means to be a man. Being a man is about having the, the qualities that make people want to share themselves with you. So, you're doing it wrong if you have to chase it, if someone is, is drunk or intoxicated, or you have to threaten them, or uh, you're just doing it wrong. And so, what you want to do is you want to pull out of them the part that's connected. Because very often, when there's an athlete that engages in this type of behavior, you see the fork in the road. And these are people, the fans will go, ah, oh, I don't care, dude, you know, I only really care about what he does on the field. Or it's another direction and they want to just completely tar and feather them. Instead of saying, hey, man, what you did is completely unacceptable. It cannot happen again. And the reason why it can't happen again is not just about criminal justice. It's about you ruining your life and you're throwing everything away, not to mention everybody around you. So we've got to do something different. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to talk about it? Because if you want, the next conversation we could have is behind bars. And I would prefer not to do it that way.
0: Well, of course, and, and but but here's the thing: they need to know that. How does that message get conveyed? Who is the who's the real person, the real identified individual in this person's life to help change that? To really, and instead of being there to pat their back or to put baby powder on them, how can they, as individuals, help? And recognize, look, I understand this may ruin my relationship, but at least I know that I can give this person my own advice from myself, from my life experiences. Is there anyone out there within any sports organization that is willing at to do pro, that? At the pro level? Of course, at any level. At the, at, the, at, the pro, at the pro level, I would say,
1: honestly, this might shock you, but I would say the, the people that can be the most influential are the agents. And the reason why I say that is because it's in their best interest financially for their athletes to to get these problems under control so it doesn't hurt their earning. The way things are set up right now, teams and leagues are not sufficiently punished for transgression of athletes that they're really motivated to do things. I mean, really, when did the NFL change its policy on domestic violence? When Anheuser-Busch said it was going to pull its sponsorship. And why did Ray Rice not get another chance? Because of what he did? Well, because he was running three point one yards of carry, and Greg Hardy got another chance. and if you read the the transcript of what he did to to his girlfriend, uh, uh, that was no walk in the park. The bottom line is it would be nice if these decisions were made on moral sake. They're not not yet anyway. They're not it's not based on morality. It's based on winning and money. And it's just not a big enough punishment for teams or even leagues as of yet. And, and, there's, and I wrote about this in my book. I have recommendations of how they could do things. You, wanted to, you want to stop this from happening? You want the teams to take it seriously? Punish them if one of their athletes that they took a chance on transgresses. Take draft picks. I mean, how do you have a, a professional athlete miss a whole year for smoking marijuana, but they're back in four games for beating their wives? It doesn't make sense. If you want to change your behavior – you can change it, and you can change it the way teams organize themselves. But the way things are set up right now, it hasn't happened yet. I think that um, if you take a look at what Goodell did, on the one hand, it was courageous. He was the first person that said, guess what, country club rules. It's a privilege to be here. I don't have to wait for due process legally in order to uh, invoke punishment. And I thought that was courageous and a step in the right direction. The problem is, is that there's been no consistency in how they enforce the rules, and so people – are not sufficiently deterred. So to me, the people that have the most influence over athletes right now are their agents because they're going to lose out also, and they're the ones that are the segue to all of their marketing deals. If you don't have it from uh, family, if you don't have it from coaches growing up that are still connected to you, You don't have someone in your entourage that's going to grab you by the scruff of your neck and say, listen, jackass, you're going to throw this all away. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting people around you. You need to knock it off. It's unrealistic to believe the way the rules are currently situated, that the NFL, Major League Baseball, yeah, they have punishments and, and, and things that they're going to do, but it really is not set up. Although Major League Baseball has the heaviest punishments when there's transgressions. But it's not set up to really stop things. The people that have the most investment to make things change, if not the athletes and their immediate family, are the agents.
0: But here's the thing. They are going to stand out to lose money. Is, is money the most important thing to an agent? Probably so. I've spoken to dozens and dozens of athletes, D, D2 guys, Division 2 guys, who are just trying to get an opportunity to get an agent to at least call them back to get to that next level do agents have a vested interest truly in these guys from a personal as well as an athletic standpoint? And I can give you some really positive stuff, and I can give you some real negative stuff, but the bottom line yeah, is. But, is
1: but, but go to the, you know, hit the one in the middle. Why does it have to be either or? The truth is good moral stuff is what sells. I mean, if I see one more Peyton Manning commercial where he's goofing off, I might lose my mind, right? <laughs> and, and he had his own scandal too. But the thing is, is that the idea, it, and I think that when we talk about professional sports, we need to be honest about how monetized it is. I know a lot of agents who see it both ways. I, I, and again, like you just said, I know some that are more interested in taking care of the person, and the money will take care of itself. And I know some that will just look for the money, and I'll take care of the person to take care of the money, and everything in between. But the area in the middle is they're not mutually exclusive. If we can teach people, if we can get them to fly right and go the right way, then they're going to be more successful both from an interpersonal point of view and a financial point of view. But the question is, I mean, really, we're dealing with immaturity. We're talking about professional athletes that are developmentally adolescents. If you were given $20 million when you were 20 years
0: old, would you have been responsible? No, probably not. I'd probably blow it oh, all and we can call it a day. <laughs> yeah, I, I just being honest with you, twenty years old. Nobody has any responsibility, twenty years old, even a college athlete giving that kind of money. NCAA exactly. just just ruled recently that these young young athletes, and of course that only applies to football, at least for now, that could change in the near future, but they're allowed to be paid for their likenesses, things of that nature. Now, here's my concept. Instead of giving them this money, take that money and give it to help offset their tuition help it offset the feeding the liquidizing the uh the any type of positivity that's put their direction from using likenesses and their names in an ncaa football game on xbox or ps2 or whatever platforms that are ps4 i guess i'm kind of older ps4 or even a ps <laughs> i don't know I, I get lost in the p it's, it's all about P. S. dot right additional at the bottom of the letter but uh, no. but 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 take that money and 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 make it make it worth their while by giving back to themselves and not just sticking their wall and say, You know what? Be responsible with it. The only ones that are going to be responsible are the ones that have had financial education while in. And in some elaborate situations, parents that have taught them how to be responsible, and as a college athlete, you're not really. So that's kind of a facade. Well,
1: I mean, look, it's a, it's a longer conversation, and we're going in a different direction, but you know, I, I don't have a problem spending some time talking about it. The issue is really very simple. In revenue-producing sports, where athletes are, are directly responsible for bringing in millions of more dollars, and that does not go back to the athletes themselves, it, there's an equity issue. Um, and then you have to deal with if they are going to be paid, yes, what are they going to use the money for? And also, does that get shared with the non-revenue sports? Because it doesn't make sense for um, uh, uh, an NFL-ready or an NBA-ready player that leads to the school putting in more stands so that they can make more money, but yet they, if they follow the rules to the T, have no money in their pocket to even buy a pizza on Friday night. Okay, so there's a middle ground there, and and it's murky. But uh, it, I've often said, if you want to find where the problems are in sports, follow the dollar. You know, in the, in the good old days, because now I'm showing that I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, you used to take a bunch of kids, throw a ball in the middle of them, they choose up teams, and they have a blast. Now everything gets screwed up because the adults have to manage everything. Whatever happened, just playing and having fun. So when you want to see where the problems are, follow the dollar. You'll see where the problems
0: are. You know, without dollars, it makes no sense. Speaking of making no sense, it makes no sense not to mention I have the one and only Dr. Mitch Abrams here on the Root Doc Show. On here for a little bit longer, live on Spreaker. Go to Show.com. and of course, go check out his website. It's actually pretty cool. Give you a lot of great information, a lot of great insight. Go to DrMitchAbrams.com. Uh, and, and, and contact him. Look, this this is not a shameful topic. This is a topic that needs to be known. It's a, it's a topic that's not really popular. Why it's not popular? Because most people are only concerned about winning, as the good doctor pointed out, and I'm in, I'm in complete agreement with that. If there's no winning, they're going to have problems o- on the sidelines. Odell Beckham Jr. leaves the New York Giants as an example, heads over to Cleveland Browns. Somehow a light switch turns on, and now he's not as much of a clown in New York, as he is now with the Cleveland Browns, despite their losing record, of course, 2-6 and six doesn't look very good on a resume, but there is some amazing stuff that he does on the field that you don't really hear about what he does off the field. I'm not going to suggest he doesn't do anything off the field because I don't know. It's not my life. It, it's not what I do. However, guys like like Odell Beckham Jr. And, and, of course, like in the sense of being flashy, maybe a little bit narcissistic. Is there a way that, is there some type of profile? And I know you talk, you know, this is kind of a little bit on the sidebar, but there are a lot of topics about how guys and and women in general, people have a profile to being considered murderers. Is there a profile that that all of these sports athletes can be put into to help others recognize the warning signs before it ever becomes a question of, well, how do we get to this point?
1: Okay, so... The, the simple answer is there is no simple answer, right? And let me also say that if I'm talking about an athlete, it means I've never worked with them, right? So I'm only um, discussing things from afar, which is not the same thing as if I evaluated them or I worked with them. And if I did – I wouldn't be talking about them right now. I mean, you, you can go all over my website and Twitter and all the rest of that stuff, and you'll never see the name of the single athlete I work with because that's got to be kept safe, sure. especially because I deal with what I do. So when I talk about these things, I'm talking about in generalities. I'm not calling Odell this or, or Antonio that. What I'm saying is is that there are certain things that you can watch as they're coming up. What you're looking for is, and there's a difference, by the way, between narcissism and having psychopathic tendencies. Now, I'm not saying that there's a whole lot lot of psychopaths that are running around the NFL although um you did have uh, Sharper who was um uh Darren Sharper was convicted of sexually assaulting women in almost every town that he traveled to, which is the you know, the the rare exception and uh, but you could see a lot of this coming up. You know it's interesting. The current zeitgeist, the current thing that people are trying to point to is um CTE, concussions cause uh violence. Uh, which is in, uh, concussions can contribute to violence, but concussions don't cause violence as a as a general rule. So what you're looking for is to what degree is the person so self-centered that they believe that they have their own set of rules? Do they have people that they care about? Do they have a moral uh, compass, even if they don't discuss it? Um, uh, publicly, I think one of the things that often happens is that we believe on the outside that their persona is the same thing as who their personality is. And when I'm assessing them, I'm trying to get to where their personality is. Sometimes, sometimes people are just being clowns. They're trying to be funny. They're trying to entertain because they know it leads to more money. I mean, I mean, from from a just an objective point of view, I, I don't know that Odell Beckham Jr. could be any more um, effective at exploiting his. Uh, charisma for monetary gains. Uh, he's on TV all the time with commercials, even with the scandals that go along with him. So the point being is, when you talk about a profile, the thing that you're looking for is the lack of empathy for others, the the inconsideration, the the um, uh, the might makes right. I'll do what I want, and I don't care about the consequences. And if you pay attention to a lot of the people that you were discussing earlier, Rudy, the people that you identify as as narcissistic, that have this this charismatic flair that's over the top, those are not the same people that are being accused for violence. Not always. Right? So yes, we're we're looking for the people that are kind of like the you know the egomaniacs who believe that the world's their oyster, they have their own set of rules. But you really have to get into the dirty, into the, into the crevices of their belief systems, what they've done, what they've been around, how they deal with anger, how they respond to emotion, how they deal with insult. Because one of the things that I think is real, the real tragedy of, of where male athletic culture can be a problem is when we're telling these little boys that they need to stuff how they feel. And then they don't, and besides the fact that it leads them to not know what to do with their emotion, which can help them in performance, then they stuff it, and then it comes out sideways. So they get angry, and it comes out sideways. Instead of teaching them that there is no wrong emotion, anger is as good or bad as any other emotion, it's how much are you experiencing, and is it helping you do what you want to do? And so, if we can raise athletes with emotional intelligence that understand that there's no bad emotion, including anger, and you can use it to harness it to make you do great, great things, then we could start to get, deal with people being fueled up. But if we don't simultaneously do something about this culture that puts them on a pedestal and says they have a different set of rules, you're going to be swimming upstream. How are you going to tell a pro athlete that's been told from the time that they're eight years old that they're the best thing ever? Now, you, now you're now you going to try to convince them that they're not? I mean, when I was talking about CTE a few minutes ago, I think one of the things that people forget is I think athletes are at great risk when they're transitioning out of the sports because, yes, they miss the camaraderie, yes, they miss the thrill of competition, but they also miss the adulation. They miss the, the having something to compete for, and all of a sudden, everybody was putting them on a, on a pedestal, and now they're thrown on a the, on the, on the trash heap, and they don't know what to do with it. Sports are not who you are. It's what you do. And it can lead to a lot of great things. But if we don't teach people to be well-rounded, teaching athletes to have, I mean, good emotional intelligence, academics, relationships, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for good, solid people. And the other thing is, is that there's nothing that says that being an athlete, being physically gifted necessarily means that you're psychologically gifted too.
0: Well, being being gifted should encompass all aspects. Being gifted as an individual, being gifted in communication, being gifted with relationships. Being being gifted is is such an underused. I don't know that that's true, Rudy. I,
1: I think that I, I wish that were true, but we know that that that's not even true with intelligence. You'll see one person who's great at math and they're horrible at English, right? They're very good socially, um, uh, but but they have other aspects that they they fall. I, I think that 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 those expectations are too high. But I think that we should strive towards people being well-balanced. I mean, if you want to think about the metaphor, you know, we talk a lot about how dangerous it is to have athletes over specialized too young. Well, we're talking about the impact on your body. You know, you have these kids that are 12 years old and having Tommy John surgery because they're pitching so much. Well, you could make the same argument that just as throwing a ball too much versus playing multiple sports, which is going to teach your body how to use your muscles in different ways is healthy, the same situation could be made for us not over-specializing personality. And even though you're an athlete, doesn't stop you from being uh, uh, an intellect, an academic, a social butterfly, an introvert, uh, a scholar, what, whatever. We, I think that the people that are most successful, the ones that are the most uh, adaptive, the most flexible, are the ones that are not just interested in being the best athlete they can be, but being the best person who plays sports.
0: Well, there are a lot of good examples. There's a lot of bad examples. I, I can name quite yeah. a few people. And, and of course, they're... they're successful with the smiles on their families' faces, the joy in their heart of giving back in the community not because they want something in return. I mean, I, I could drop a handful of names, but the bottom line is, is that you have two ends of the spectrum. I've learned early on and I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know the difference between interpersonal and interpersonal communications. And as, as far as within myself and how I want to exude confidence, how I exude, Uh, intelligence are the things that I say. We are who we say we are. The words that come out of our mouth and the actions to follow define who we are. There has to be a way, and of course we're running out of time here, but there has to be a way to, no, no, you're,
1: getting, you're getting to the good stuff. You, because, exactly. This is the thing. You're, you're, you're now pulling back the curtain, right? The truth is is that the conversations that most people have with themselves are not the same conversations they have with the outside world. They're, they they have their face up. They're trying to play the role, but they don't even believe what they're saying. And that's exactly where you're getting at. You want to be able to look yourself in the mirror and go, I know who that person is. I know that person's weaknesses. That's all right. Got a lot of strength. And I'm I'm with that. I believe very strongly it's why it's so important to have a good core around you so that if I go out there and I fall flat on my face, I don't have to give a crap because I know my family loves me and they got my back. But what you're talking about, which is so important, that internal conversation and how it maps onto or doesn't translate into the outside conversation is exactly where the rubber hits the road because you have a lot of these guys that are playing the role in the phonies and they crumble when things get tough.
0: Well, the best thing that you can find out who's real and who's not the real deal, put them in pressurized situations, put them in high stress, high volume, you're running out of time situation and see if they're going to fold like a deck of cards or if they're going to stand the test of time and really put up their absolute best when they need to, how they need to, and for the right reasons. And the right reasons it is... Really
1: translate, right? So the no. person that can do that exactly like you're saying, you know, the clock's ticking down, you know, bottom of the ninth, you're down on runs, just because you could do that on the playing field doesn't mean you could do it in the boardroom, doesn't mean you could do it in your romantic relationships, doesn't mean you could do it uh, standing on principle, giving money to a homeless person when no one's looking. That's the challenge. People that are good in one domain don't necessarily have the ability to do that in others, and that, I think, is the cautionary note. You have some people that are athletically gifted, and when I say athletically gifted, I don't just mean physically. I mean psychologically as well. But mm, they just eat up pressure. They look for that opportunity. But you put them in a high-pressure situation in an interpersonal environment, doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be as good. We presume that they will, but it's not always true. That's well, what we're
0: striving for. C- correct. And I could not I cannot agree more. Everybody should go follow Dr. Mitch Abrams. He is extremely insightful. He's been doing this a very long time. If you have any questions, reach out to him. Again, go to DrMitchAbrams.com. Look at all the great things. And you could always go... Uh, to another website as well where his services are available. Of course, the NFL should be listening to this because there are a ton of guys that need character interviews, character conversations, and diagnosis. And, of course, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but if you're a trained professional like Dr. Abrams is, it's certainly possible. Go to AbramsPsychServices.com. That's AbramsPsychServices, A-B-R-A-M-S-P-S-Y-C-H-Services.com give him a call 732-460-1300 he can certainly inform you more so than i can but i wanted i wanted to definitely bring this to light considering this is very rampant doctor thank you so much for your time i look forward to having you on again
1: Anytime Rudy I appreciate the opportunity. I think you know the, to wrap up with the best thing we can say is listen athletes are people that play sports and we I don't know any of us that do best by being judged in our worst moment. If we want to stop these problems we need to treat these people as people that have done some bad things and how we can help them and then we prevent victims as well.
0: I could not agree more. Thank you so much Dr. This is Rudy Reyes on the Rude Dog show and of course Stay tuned because I have a lot of other great things up my sleeve. I guess you'll have to tune in to find out what they are. Thank you again, Doctor, for coming on. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.